So if you're visiting with us this morning, uh, either because of the baptism or, or not, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. We are and have been teaching through the book of Ephesians, and this morning we've come to the end of chapter one, believe it or not, for those of you who have been here. <laughs> In the late 1600s, two scholars, two fellows of the Royal Society did something so remarkable that it literally changed our understanding of the way the world works. And it transformed how we function within the created order. Two scientists were able to basically to increase the magnification of some basic microscopes by a factor of 10, enabling them to discover, that is, in fact, to see for the first time that another realm existed within our world. An entire realm of unseen microorganisms. Now, their discovery laid the groundwork for the field of microbiology, and it's been impacting our lives ever since. I mean, you could just think of some of the ways that life is different now as a result of what they discovered and what we could now see. I mean, everything from, from agriculture to food distribution to the the clean water initiatives are happening all over the globe. And it absolutely, utterly revolutionized our understanding of infectious diseases, our ability to diagnose them, and to treat them in large measure effectively. Discovering an entire realm of unseen, living, microscopic beings within our world has literally changed the way we live on a daily basis. Now, what I want to submit to you this morning is that a clear understanding of our passage, a clear understanding of what Paul wants us to see a clear understanding of an entire realm of unseen, living, spiritual beings that exist within our world, and our understanding of where they fit in the created order has the opportunity to revolutionize the way we live in the world. Now, our verses this morning complete both Paul's prayer and chapter 1. Our passage is Ephesians 1, verses 22 and 23. And Patrick taught us last week that Jesus was risen to reign. And so we see beginning in verse 21, that his position or his title, 
is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, Lord, uh, help us. Holy Spirit, open the eyes of our hearts that we might see the beauty and the power and the majesty of Jesus more fully than we ever have before. I ask in his name, amen. In order to see the power of these last couple of verses, rather than just kind of untangling them while we go, I just want to make three clear statements about what I think they're saying. And then we'll just unpack those as we go. The first one is that Jesus fully reigns over the cosmos. And the cosmos, by that I just mean the entire created order. And in particular, what I'm thinking about is both the physical realm and the spiritual realm. The second truth that we see here embedded in these just couple of verses is that Jesus fully redeems his church. And then flowing out of those first two ideas, Jesus fully displays his glory in the church for the cosmos. Now, in, in thinking about basically what, what Paul's been saying throughout chapter 1 and now what Paul has been praying towards the end of chapter 1, I think the thrust of the idea or the central push this morning that I want to just kind of drive through our whole message is that as we come to understand the fullness of our redemption and the fullness of the reign of Jesus, that frees us to follow him wherever he leads. So let's just begin with our first statement that Jesus fully reigns over the cosmos. What would you what would you need to know in order to freely and to fully trust God? No matter what he calls you to do or where he commands you to go. What would you need to know beyond a shadow of the doubt, beyond a shadow of a doubt that is true in order to be able to freely and to fully trust God no matter what happens? Or what truth? What truth has the power to calm your fears? about the future, or perhaps as you sit here this morning, about the present as well. What truth would be so powerful as to set you free to say, I trust you, and I'm no longer afraid? 
because of who you are. What reality is so forceful that it might compel you? Compel you to leave everything that you find comfortable and perhaps go to a land where you might be beheaded for following Jesus. This has happened to thousands of believers through the ages. What is it that they saw about Jesus that would compel them to leave everything behind so they could go and tell people about Jesus, people that didn't want them there? What could be so good or what could be so important? My guess is is that what we would need to understand are the same truths about Jesus in the 21st century that Paul thought that the believers in Ephesus needed to understand in the first century when he wrote this letter. I mean, imagine you are in Ephesus at this time and, and you're talking to the local silversmith about Jesus and the fact that he is Lord Overall. And then you leave his shop or whatever and you go home across the street and you're meeting with a couple of believers and you're praying. And all of a sudden you hear this thunderous noise as the crowd begins to come down the street and they're filing into the arena and you're not sure what's happening. And then all of a sudden it's deafening in your home as the walls are rattling and you hear, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And it goes on for two hours. Where is courage going to come from after things quiet down when you sense the Lord is leading you to go back to Him and to say, actually, Jesus is great, Jesus is Lord. Jesus alone deserves worship. Well, if you live in East Tennessee, you may not live across the street from a temple where they worship false gods. But, but maybe you work in the cubicle across the aisle from a couple of guys who you realize pretty quickly don't view women the same way that you do. In fact, based on their conversation and their jokes, you can pretty much tell they don't have any respect for women at all. You could just kind of sense the, the, the evil, frankly, and the, the oppressiveness of the darkness that just surrounds them. And you're beginning to feel like God is prompting you to go talk to them about Jesus in the context of what they're saying about women. What truth would get you out of your chair and across the aisle to have a conversation with these guys? Or maybe you see one of your children just drifting in the culture 
toward any manner of evil. Maybe you know they're already captured, hook, line, and sinker. And you think, how do I step into this? What can I possibly do against the onslaught of everything they see every single day? Is there anybody who could rescue them? What, what could possibly be power enough, powerful enough to extract them from evil and compel them to love God? Is there anything in all creation that could, could do that? From Ephesus to Maryville, we need to entrust our hearts fully to this truth. Almighty God gave our king a title or a position of authority that is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. That is, Jesus doesn't just reign now, he will reign forever. Would it help you to know that God not only bestowed upon him that that position or that authority, but that he exercised that power over the spiritual forces of darkness in this present world as his enemies were placed under Jesus' feet in full subjection to his righteous and powerful reign. Would that increase your confidence? Brothers and sisters, let me declare to you and to all other spiritual beings we may not be able to see, but who may be able to hear my voice. Let me declare within the assembly of the righteous that Jesus Christ reigns over all other powers. Let the angelic anthem of heaven redound in this place among our people. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Be reminded that Jesus once sent out 72 of his followers, and when they returned rejoicing, they were rejoicing because the demons submitted to them in the name of Jesus. And Jesus said in response, I know, because I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. May you be strengthened as you consider the power of evil. May you be strengthened in your inner being as you recall that as Jesus once approached the land of the Gerasenes, a demon named Legion, who was terrorizing a man. In fact, he was terrorizing the whole region and could not be controlled. When Jesus approached in a boat, 
before he even got to shore, Legion began to beg King Jesus for mercy. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. That is the demon. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. In the presence of Jesus, evil begs for mercy. For at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If you are flirting with evil, rather than following Jesus, in the spirit of what we just sang, I need to warn you that the days of evil are numbered. And unless you turn from your wicked way, and turn toward Jesus and put your faith in him, your days are also numbered because Jesus hates sin and he hates evil at the core of his being. And when he comes back, he will deal with it ultimately and finally forever. But if you're breathing, it's not too late. Run to Jesus and throw yourself upon him and upon his mercy and he will welcome you in. This sovereign God will not break a bruised reed. He won't snuff out a smoldering wick but the clock is ticking because Jesus fully reigns over the cosmos in both the physical and the spiritual realm and because his enemies have been placed in full subjection to him under his feet we are therefore freed to follow him without fear, wherever he leads us. Now, the second important point to emphasize from our passage is that Jesus fully redeems or has redeemed his church and every person within it who has expressed faith in Jesus. Now, with this phrase, what I mean by Jesus fully redeems his church, what we're exploring is, is, is really out of verse 23, which is how 
is the church, or how can the church be the fullness of him who fills all in all? In other words, what does that mean? Or in this context, what is Paul trying to get us to see? I think in context, there's two ways in which the Lord Jesus displays the fullness of his glory. Two ways in which the church is the fullness of him who fills all in all. The first is, because Jesus so fully identifies with his church, the church therefore represents the fullness of of his glory. And and we get this just kind of in a general sense, right? If you if you ran into somebody at Kroger and they said to you, Hey, I, I met someone from your church, and they said, and they were the kindest, sweetest, most wonderful person. I just you could tell they loved Jesus, and you said you probably met Nancy Kissel, and <laughs> we're not all like that, but uh you, you would say you would feel good, right? Because in some sense, you're identified with that other person. Uh, this is also true for family. So one of the things we talk about is, look, if you do something worthy of honor, then that brings honor to our whole family. If you do something that is not worthy of honor, then in some sense, that brings shame to our family. And this is that culture. Honor, shame, culture, Middle East, first century. But in terms of his identification with the church, Jesus here is called the head, and the church is his body. That's how closely he wants to be identified. Now, he's going to develop this idea in chapter 4, so we'll develop that idea when we get to chapter 4. But for now, just recall some of the biblical ways that Jesus has expressed his desire to be identified with us as a church. So, in Acts 9... Saul, who is Paul, who wrote this letter, is on the road to Damascus, and he thinks Jesus is dead because he persecuted the church for lying about the fact that Jesus was alive. That is, Paul, or Saul, thought he was dead until Jesus started talking to him. And he said, Saul... Saul, why are you persecuting me? He did not say, why are you persecuting my church? Why are you persecuting my followers? Leave them alone. He said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? In other words, in Jesus' mind, if you do something to his church, you're doing something to him. Or Matthew 25. Context, final judgment. Jesus is talking about what makes the difference between being welcomed into heaven Or banished from heaven. He's separating the sheep and the goats. And he says to the people he welcomed, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink, etc., etc. And the righteous are confused because they say, "Uh, when did we feed you? Or when were you thirsty and we gave you something to drink 
And Jesus says to them, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Again, no distinction. In Hebrews 2, the writer says of Jesus, rejoice, because Jesus said he's not ashamed to call us brothers. And he attributes to Jesus these words. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. How awesome would it have been to be standing next to Jesus in synagogue while he's worshiping God. But brothers and sisters, there will be a day when we'll be right next to Jesus worshiping him as God. The point is, at least in part, that, that we are his fullness because he so fully identifies with us that that's what he wants. When we hurt, Jesus hurts. Or when we suffer persecution for his name, he endures persecution. Or perhaps most amazingly of all, Jesus so wants us to understand our identification with him is that as we talked about all weekend long at the men's retreat, Jesus calls us friends. I mean, it is one thing to worship King Jesus who rules over all things. It's another thing for him to look at us and say, I love you, my friend. Maybe if you find yourself in in kind of a tender place this morning and you are comforted by the fact that Jesus is ruling over evil, but really you're just hurting and you just need someone to come alongside you, if that's true, just embrace the reality that Jesus is your friend. I can tell you from personal experience because I know him, because I'm friends with him, he is, that is Jesus, is really kind. And he's super compassionate. He is a great listener. And as far as I can tell, all of his counsel is really solid. Exceedingly biblical, you might, you might even say. Inspired. That's so good. And he's always willing to pray. You might say he lives to intercede for us. If that's true, may I encourage you to cast all your anxieties upon him because he cares for you, because he loves you, because he's your friend. Now, the second way in which the church is the fullness of Christ is that Jesus has fully redeemed us. 
to the praise of his glorious grace, which is chapter 1 and verse 6. So what I mean by this is that every person in the church, as an individual who has placed his or her faith in Jesus, you've been Ephesian 1 In other words, everything that we've been talking about for the last couple months is actually true for you. You are blessed by the Father in heaven. You have been chosen by God in love. You have been adopted. This is Orphan Sunday. All of us were spiritually orphaned, and we've been adopted by God, so we now have him as our father. You've been redeemed from your sins by the blood of Jesus. You have had grace lavishly poured out upon you. You've obtained an inheritance of infinite value that is eternal. And you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. That is God now dwells within you if you have put your faith in Jesus. You've been Ephesians 1 all the way through. In other words, God desired to display the fullness of his glory by fully redeeming his church and doing so to the praise of his glorious grace because that's what he wants to put on display for the cosmos. When we are confident of who we are in Christ because we were fully redeemed by God, then when we realize that, we are freed to follow him wherever he leads us. Now, having fully displayed his glory in the church and having been given as the head over all things to the church, Jesus then commands the church, his church, to go outward to fill all in all. On earth, God's plan is that every inch of this planet would be filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. As Isaiah said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory glory. That's the plan. The plan is that the glory of Jesus would permeate everything. Well, how is that going to happen? Jesus says, out of my fullness. In other words, church, let's get to work to glorify our king because Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And as Abraham Kuyper has said, that's basically Jesus standing up before the creation and declaring, mine, every 
square inch. And there's nothing anyone can do to stop him. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And I am with you even to the end of the age. In other words, part of the filling of all things is the Great Commission. If you're a person who has had any thought whatsoever, especially, especially if you are a young person, and you have had the thought, what would it be like to bring the good news of the gospel to the nations? Even if it's a, just, a, just a tiny little spark in your heart about that. I would encourage you to pray this morning. You may want to pray right now. And ask God to inflame that. To see if he increases your desire to bring the good news to the nations. Because even if you go there and you share the good news. And you're killed for your efforts. It will be 100% worth it. Because we'll be celebrating it literally forever. Jesus is that good. So King Jesus is the one who fills all in all. The plan is for the glory of God to be displayed absolutely everywhere in creation, even to the ends of the earth. There's that great commission language again. Because God is omnipresent, and because God is omniglorious, He wants his glory arrayed throughout the spiritual realm as well as the physical realm on earth. Here's the miracle. God uses the church for both tasks. To proclaim what is true to this world and to the spiritual world. God wanted to bring to light the mystery of the gospel hidden for ages so that, Ephesians 3.10, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known not to the nations. That verse ends with these words, but to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This is why we seek to permeate the culture and push back the darkness through the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to understand that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. What an awesome privilege. But but what does it look like? Because when I hear this kind of language, maybe this is because I'm a guy, I, I, I feel like going all ninja with swords and you're just you're storming the gates of Normandy because, or I guess in this case the gates of hell, because you're going to take ground back from the enemy. But what this actually looks like, 
Jesus says, if you, if you give someone a cup of cold water in my name, you'll never lose your reward. That's the connection between the physical world and the spiritual world. Or it may not look like storming the gates of hell. It may look like sitting down over coffee with a coworker or a friend and through tears pleading with them to put their faith in Jesus because you look at their life and you know they are hellbound. How do you push back the forces of evil? You teach your children to love one another because Jesus has loved us. And the gates of hell say, we got nothing for that. The simplest things done in the name of Jesus impact eternity. Amazing and true. But as dark and as difficult as it is, we can have full confidence because we will overcome this world and the devil by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. We need to never forget that he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. John puts it bluntly in his first letter. He says, the reason Jesus came was to destroy the works of the devil because Jesus hates him. The way Jesus destroyed the works of the devil, amazing. No one would have thought of this. Because when you think of Jesus binding Satan, or crushing Satan, or triumphing over evil. You picture, I would have said muscle-bound Jesus, which is pretty much what he looks like in most of the movies. He sent baby Jesus. Because God likes to stack the deck against himself. And say, here, here's a baby Satan, go ahead and try to kill him. You won't. Until I say, today's the day. Go ahead and try. And then when he does it, he says, you just shot yourself in the foot because you just fulfilled my plan forever. And Satan will be cursing God forever because of that. This is the way Paul summarizes what Jesus did and, and these truths that we're talking about. He summarized them in Colossians 2 like this. In Christ, the whole fullness of God dwells bodily, and you, you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. 
But God made you alive together with him, having forgiven all of your sins by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross, and in so doing, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Jesus. That's the good news of the gospel. That's why you can have confidence to be in the presence of God without fear. Because Jesus has forgiven you, forgiven your sins and given you his righteousness. This is the good news of the glorious grace of God that we are called to bring to the nations as a witness to the entire cosmos. That Jesus is Lord. Therefore, as we come to understand the fullness of our redemption and the fullness of the reign of Jesus, we are freed to follow him wherever he leads. Therefore, may God keep us from temptation and deliver us from evil as he strengthens us for the task of penetrating the darkness with the light of the glory of the gospel of Christ to the glory of God the Father and to the glory of God the Son and to the glory of God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Father, you alone are God and you alone are worthy of praise. Thank you for opening our eyes. Thank you for the fact that Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1 has been fulfilled in our lives. You have given us the Spirit so that we can have wisdom and revelation to understand how much you love us. And so I pray that our hearts would overflow with tremendous joy now and tremendous confidence as we consider the fullness of the way that we have been redeemed and the fullness of the reign of Jesus. And we can sing our hearts out freely because you have overcome our flesh and you have overcome the world and you have overcome the devil. All of our enemies are under your feet. May you be glorified now through the person and power of the Holy Spirit as he leads us to worship you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.